0: All right, we'll get going here. It's always fun to hear the chatter and the life and all that good stuff happening. Welcome, welcome. I'm Pete. If I haven't met you yet, I hope I'll be able to meet you soon, maybe today. I get to serve as Community Life Pastor here. Come say hi or something. If I haven't met you yet, I'll try to say hi as well. Um, Yeah, let's pray together before we dive into the Word of God. Father, we uh, come to you because of Jesus and through him. Um, that's the only way we get to come to you, God, and uh, we get to come to you freely as we are, the works in progress that we are. Um, and we come to you through faith in Jesus alone.'ve um, got many of us here uh, know you and um, love you. Um, you. You've claimed us, you've pursued us, God, and others of us here are asking questions about you and trying to figure out who you are and, and why um, the Bible claims. Uh, you to be massively important, more important than we could even put into words. Um, God, for all of us here, just ask you to meet us. You meet us right where we're at. You're really good at doing that. You know exactly what we need. The Bible says you, you, you know the amount of hairs on our heads. You know um, the amount of tears we've cried. You know deep, intimate things about us more than we even know about ourselves, God. So we come to you as we are, God. And ask that you meet us here. I pray, God, that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified, that we would see you as who you really are. That Jesus Christ, you would be lifted up as the hero of human history that you are. And the Holy Spirit, you would um, make all this stuff happen, God, because can't, I, I can't say stuff that makes sense. The band can't play good enough songs. We can't put good enough cookies out, whatever it is, God, to make anything work, God. We just need you. and We need your Holy Spirit to move in the act. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hopped on Google and typed in a Google search identity crisis. That was a fun, fun little search for me. Um, Merriam Webster Dictionary shot back this to me identity crisis, a personal psychosocial conflict that involves confusion about one's social role and often a sense of loss of continuity to one's personality. Another came back and said this, a period of uncertainty or confusion in which a person's sense of identity becomes insecure. People, businesses, even churches can have identity crises. What we want to do here this morning in is I don't, we're, we're not in an identity crisis, but one of the best ways to prevent having an identity crisis and one of the best ways to actually pursue a, a, a meaningful identity and getting clarity in that is by being really loud and oftentimes returning to who we are. As Paul mentioned earlier. One of the big reasons we're doing this four-week-long sermon series is for us to be refreshed, for those of us who have quite a bit of history with Redeemer, for us to be refreshed with who we are and who we think God is calling us to be. And for those who are newer or newish to Redeemer, for you to maybe hear for the first time, who we are as a church, and to see if this church is a good fit for you during this season of life. So we hope that this will be helpful toward that end. What I want to do before we hop into what uh, kind of the topic is for this morning is kind of take a peek back to last week. So last Sunday, um, Rob preached and put something up on the screen, this big triangle diagram. Tyson, if you want to throw that up on the screen, that would be awesome. So here it is. This is our vision. A vision being like, man, you close your eyes, you imagine what what is our envisioned future reality that we hope for? Is everyone everywhere experiencing the gospel? See if you can say that with me. Everyone. Everyone everywhere experiencing the gospel. Everyone. That means Christian and non-Christian. Everywhere. That means neighbors to the nations and everywhere in between. Experiencing is this robust combination of sound gospel doctrine. Coupled with a culture that feels like grace, experiencing and the gospel, God's pursuit and rescue mission for sinners like you and me, everyone everywhere experiencing the gospel. If you're in on that, you can say amen. Cool. Me too. Everyone everywhere experiencing the gospel. And then you might be thinking, okay, well, how might we do that? how do we do that? Sounds good. Big vision. What do we do? Okay, we want to make disciples that make disciples. We want to plant churches that plant churches. That's that big word, that. Fancy word for the, or fancy phrase, I guess, is strategic principle. Okay, how are you going to do this? We want everyone everywhere to experience the gospel. How's that going to happen? Make disciples that make disciples, plant churches that plant churches. You hear the multiplication embedded within that. We love it when disciples are made. We love it when churches are planted. We love it even more when disciples make disciples that make disciples and then churches plant churches that plant churches. You tracking? Cool. Make disciples that make disciples, plant churches that plant churches. Then how do we do that? Boots on the ground, in the flesh every day. Okay, that sounds good. Everyone everywhere experience the gospel. This big word that we wanna make disciples that make disciples, plant churches that plant churches. Okay, now what do we do? The big three. We hit the first two last week, that is corporate worship, biblical community, and then the one that we're going to hone in on specifically today is this idea of intentional training. Somebody say training. Intentional training. And we really preach on this topic purposefully a couple times a year. This idea of training, it is so much part of the ethos of who we are, which is why we're talking about it during the Who We Are sermon series, this idea of training. So if you are able and if you are willing, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. You can flip there. I should have looked in the Bibles. Patrick, when you get there, man? You want to say the number? 992, 992 is the... The page for 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is God's word. From him. Paul writing to his right hand dude in the faith. A guy named Timothy. And he says this. He says have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather. Train yourself for Godliness. Those who believe, feel free to grab a seat. I want to give us a bit of a a history. Like how did we as a church end up with this idea of intentional training? How did we end up focusing on that? Why are we focusing on it? It's very normal for churches to do stuff like corporate worship, part of our big three. Biblical community, part of our big three. Intentional training is maybe, a, maybe in some sense is a little bit more unique. So how did we get there? What I wanna do is rewind back to November 2017. Something happened, uh, a church planting website, some folks from a church planting website reached out to Rob, early pastor, and said, hey, would you write a blog? Um, and Rob said, yes, I'll do that. And what I wanna do is read a portion of that blog for us this morning to give us kind of some color commentary into Why do we do intentional training as a church, and how do we do it? So this is from Rob, our lead pastor, back in November 2017, and so much of this has to do with the ethos of who we are when we talk about, man, we want to be about intentional training. He says this, athletes don't exercise, they train. Rob says, I read that blog title from Outside Magazine. It's been one of the most helpful ideas I can think of for developing church planters and making disciples. We want to make disciples that make disciples. We want to plant churches that plant churches. Before, he says, before I even read the article, I was all in. The intentionality that athletes give to their sport is a great model for how we can make disciples and plant churches. There are many ways we could apply the concept of training versus exercise in discipleship. But for this post, Rob says, let me focus on just two. Number one, Christians shouldn't exercise. Number two, Christians should train. This is where it gets weird for me because Rob starts talking about his wife. It's not my wife. It's Rob's wife. Here we go. (laughs) My wife loves to run on a treadmill. She doesn't really have a big goal. She isn't getting ready for a race. But almost every morning, she wakes up early to read her Bible and to run. Rob says, I'm totally for it, and I wish I did it. But what she's doing is exercising. It's not training. After eight years on the treadmill, she isn't getting much faster. This is where I start feeling more and more weird. Katie, if you're listening, (laughs) these are your husband's words, and he loves you dearly. Okay. She isn't running much further. She's watching the Food Network and having fun and staying fit. But she isn't training. Exercise is great. She doesn't need to train because she doesn't have some big goal she's trying to reach. Many Christians wake up almost every morning and read their Bibles and pray and go to work and parent and lots of other things, but maybe never train. We attend services and do book studies, but don't really train. We turn important and godly disciplines into mere exercise sometimes and often wonder why after eight years, we don't see the kind of development and growth and Christ-likeness that we had hoped for. We are doing many of the right things, but without a goal or a plan. In the local church, much of our discipleship or our pursuit of godliness, this big word that we see in in chapter 7, train yourself for godliness. In the local church, much of our discipleship or pursuit of godliness becomes or can become a type of plodding along on the treadmill. Dream a little. How would your Bible time, your book studies, Your prayer time all gain greater significance and produce greater growth if you had a goal. That's what athletes do. They pick a target, make a plan, and get to work. Here's the big idea. Christians don't exercise, they train. Christians don't exercise, they train. You might be thinking, okay, well, train for what? This text helps us as Paul, talking to kind of his spiritual son in this faith, this guy named Timothy, he says, have nothing to do with your reverent silly myths. Rather, this is what I want you to do. Train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Now, what do we mean by godliness? Tons of different ways that we could describe godliness that would be biblical and therefore helpful. We could say godliness is stuff like, man, looking more like Jesus, I use that one a lot. It's looking more like Jesus, growing with Jesus, being formed more and more into the image of Christ. All those things would be true and biblical and helpful and all that stuff. I want to give us maybe a a double-clicking onto a definition of godliness and say it this way. We have four different commitments as a church. These four commitments are a way of defining what we see as a well-rounded, proportionate disciple of Jesus. So if you're engaging in these things, and that's why we, we invite all of us, myself included, to engage in these things, then we are growing as followers of Christ. And here they are. Here are our four commitments: Live for Jesus, live as family, live on mission, And live to multiply. We can say that that defines godliness. Now growing as godliness, I'm living for Jesus, I'm living as family, I'm living on mission, and I'm living to multiply. What do those things mean? Live for Jesus. Imagine every nook and cranny of your life. Not immediately, but continuously, you're trying to get every nook and cranny of your life to come underneath the Lordship of Jesus for God's glory and for your flourishing. Live for family, or live as family, sorry. Everyone having their people as we follow Jesus together. Live on mission, joining God in his mission to spread the good news of the gospel that God rescues sinners like you and me. Live to multiply. This is multiplying disciples and multiplying churches and multiplying just about anything else that will help us multiply more disciples and multiply more churches. Live for Jesus, live his family, live on mission, live to multiply. That's the target. That's the target. So when Paul tells Timothy, yo, man, I want you to train yourself for godliness, we could do zero gymnastics. I like gymnastics, my favorite thing to watch in the Olympics, but we could do zero gymnastics and we could say, man, this uh, instruction that Paul gives to Timothy, train yourself for godliness, we could adopt that as our mantra. If you're here and you're a Christian, you can adopt that as your mantra, train yourself for godliness. that's the target. Think about this. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we know what the target is? I like Alice in Wonderland. She gives us some good insight here. I'm going to quote her. She's in the context of talking to a cat. She's trying to figure out where do I go because she's kind of lost. And she says this to the cat. She says, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Know your target. Where are you going? If you're here and you're a Christian, then your God given target is godliness. <laughs> That's mine. That's yours. We don't have to get cute about it. It's godliness. Train yourself. For godliness. I read a book a couple years ago called Start with the Why by Simon Sinek. Read it if you want. It's good. But you can just read the title too and then meditate on that and you'll be good. Start with the why. Start with the why. What Paul has given us here is he's given us the what? He says, train yourself for godliness. And what he's going to get into in the following verses is the why. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for Godliness. Why? For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I was asking myself this question as I was looking at this text is is what's at stake here? As we think about this idea, this topic, this here's the what, it's train yourself for godliness. What's at stake when it comes to me, boots on the ground, like trying to train myself for godliness or not really training myself for godliness? What is at stake? Everything. Everything's at stake. Newt Larson says this, he says, godliness, it penetrates every aspect of of life. Godliness affects everything. Our view of self, marriage, parenting, business, civic responsibilities, environmental outlook, relationship with our next-door neighbors. Nothing escapes godliness. It covers everything. Have you ever noticed, like, if you're around someone and they're just growing in godliness, or maybe in your own life as you're growing in godliness, that things tend to just go better? I don't need prosperity gospel emails. I'm just saying that, that God, when He has wired us to be growing in godliness, and when you and I are growing in godliness, it tends to help the folks around us flourish. Think about those people close to you, could be a spouse could be a roommate of yours in college, could be kids, co-workers, friends, neighbors. When you are growing in godliness, you are doing a service to those around you. That's one great motivation as to why would you train yourself for godliness. I was texting someone in our church earlier this week and, um, and we are just going back and forth asking, hey, what's going on in your life? That sort of thing. And she was giving me a little bit of an update. And I was just encouraged by, um, by what, what, what's going on in her life. And I said, man, what you're doing is Jesus-like. <laughs> way to go. And kind of just signed the text message off like that. That's just another way of saying, man, what you're doing, you're growing in godliness. And we'll praise God for that. And when we're growing in godliness, man, the people around us, we feel it. We feel that it's for our flourish. I know that's motivating to me. I, w- I want to give a couple reasons for me specifically as to why I want to train myself for godliness. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll wake up early in the morning for whatever reason. I, I got I to leave the house before my wife and boys wake up. And one thing that I'll do, not every morning, but sometimes is I'll go and look at the baby monitor um, of my boy Emmett, who's two and a half and he's in his crib, and he's snoozing, and I'm about to leave. I'm kind of sad because I'm not going to see him before he wakes up. He's still snoozing. And I just look at, at, at my boy Emmett in the monitor before I leave. And not every time, but, man, sometimes I just, I just have this, this sense, or sometimes I say it out loud. I'm like, man, man I want to be godly for you. Boy, I want to be godly for him. Because he's going to feel it. He's going to feel it. The degree to which I'm pursuing godliness or not, he is going to feel it. What's your why? The what is train yourself for godliness. If you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Like Those are your marching orders. But man, if all we focus on is the what, then the what is going to fade to the background real quick. Maybe in the next hour. Why? Why would you train yourself for godliness? Dream a little bit. Another reason that I know I want to train myself for godliness, um, and I think by God's grace, and, and this, this is true from a handful of conversations I've had from folks in our church, um, is that in the last 18, 24 months or so, many of us, by God's, maybe not many, but at least some of us, by God's grace by God's grace, have been waking up to the reality and had some increased self-awareness that we're not living in Christendom. By God's grace, we've waken up to that. So now the question is, like, man, how, how do we then live? We're going into Daniel, beautiful book in the Bible, after this sermon series, the book of Daniel, and, and really the reason we're doing that is timely because we're trying to figure out, man, how do you live as a Christian in a complex time? And how do you do that with a biblical worldview and a beautiful witness at the same time going forward? This is some of what's at stake. How do we not sacrifice truth on the altar of love or sacrifice love on the altar of truth? Both are massively biblical and we need both. This is some of what's at stake when we talk about training yourself for godliness in this given moment. How do you be a Christian if you're a Christian in this age and in this time? Train yourself for godliness. My wife became a mom when we had Emmett and she became, I guess, a mom of two when we had Warren and uh, she does all sorts of different things for our boys. Um, She'll read blog posts, (laughs) depending on their phase of of, of just development, okay, what's going on and what's on the horizon, what's next, what can we expect, different stuff like that. She'll talk to different friends who are moms, kind of swap ideas, this is working, this isn't working, that sort of thing. She'll take the boys out and do fun activities when I'm not there. Super sweet stuff. She's studying right now, trying to figure out, man, how, how do we help our little boy sleep better? He's sleeping fine for his stage, but like, how do we, how do we transition to a new stage of development when it comes to his sleep? And what's happening is she, 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 she isn't becoming a mom by doing those things. She's just training herself to be, you could say, a better mom by doing those things. Listen to me. Training yourself for godliness doesn't make you a Christian. It'll just help you be one to help you live like one is probably a better way to say that. Training yourself for godliness does not make you a Christian, amen? It does not make you a Christian. It will just help you live like one. Probably the best thing that I can do, and maybe you, for just about anything or anyone in my life is to train myself for godliness. It covers everything. So, what's your why? We just encourage you with that to think about it. Let that stir in you. What is your why? Why might you want to train yourself in godliness? Jordan Peterson says this. He says you won't get what you don't aim at. You might get what you do aim at. What's your target? Godliness. Paul says, train yourself for godliness. And we can adopt that much. Train yourself for godliness, and then personally know why you're training for godliness. Sometimes for me and my fam, we uh, we have the rhythm, especially in the in the the, the sunnier months of going for walks together. Um, sometimes after dinner or whatever it might be on the weekends, um, and uh, sometimes that's initiated by my wife or I. Sometimes that's initiated by our two and a half year old Emmett, and we know it's time to to go out and do that when he says "fam walk." That means we're going on a family walk, fam walk. He throws a B on there for some reason. I love it. Fam, walk. So what happens is we start getting excited and some energy starts swirling around the house. And we go into the garage and get his little Strider bike. You know, the Strider bike, the blue Strider bike, super cool. And he start he's, he's gaining confidence on that. We put his helmet on there. I've one time did him in the, in the you know, every parent's done that, but I'm focusing more since then. So <laughs> haven't done that, my fault. Anyway, so we get on the Strider bike and we kind of go out. Um, start riding through the neighborhood, and he's gaining confidence. Um, and we're trying to teach him, be good parents, and teach him, like, okay, you got to stop at the road so you don't get squished. We don't want that. You, there's the little yellow spot the crosswalks. I'm trying to teach him all this stuff. Look both ways. Okay, clear, good, clear. Here we go. Um, and he's going faster and faster and stuff like that. And then every once in a while, he'll just stop kind of the, out of nowhere. And he'll get off his Strider bike, and he'll set it down. And then he'll take a couple paces over into a random person's lawn. And he'll sit down. (laughs) And he says, take break. (laughs) (laughs) You and I right now, in the midst of hearing train, train, train yourself for godliness, we might need to take a little break. (laughs) And just like our boy needs to get a little replenishment. And sometimes he he goes, (sighs) and he actually takes a little deep breath right there. We might need that, some gospel replenishment, as we've heard, maybe for the last, whatever, 20 minutes or so. Train, train, train. Get after it. Have some grit. Be determined. Work hard. All good. Godly, biblical things. But sometimes we might just need to take a break. With that, that gospel replenishment comes in these verses. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He goes on and he says, for to this end we toil, say toil, toil and strive. Listen to this, because we have our hope set on the living God. Because we have our hope set on the living God. Don't go forward training yourself for godliness without knowing the living God. I might ask you, do you know the living God? For to this end we toil and we strive. We don't train f- train ourselves so that God would would w- so that we would be right with Him. We're right with him through faith in Jesus, and then from that identity, we get to train. It's what we were made for. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, especially of those who believe. Earlier in this uh, letter that Paul penned to, to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2, verse 5, it says this. It says, for there is one God. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. That's shorthand for the gospel. saying that the only way that a sinner like you or me could be right with God, our sin jacks stuff up and separates us from a relationship with God. And then God says, man, I love you. I'm so into you. I, I want to pursue you so much that I'm going to send my son who's perfect. And he's lived perfectly in your spot. And then he's gone to the cross and he's died the death that you deserve if you trust him. And then he raised victoriously from the grave saying this whole thing just worked the exclamation point of the gospel, the resurrection, and then through anyone who has faith in this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the God-man, who lived perfectly how we were called to live, died in our place and then rose, anyone who has faith in him is reconciled relationally back to God the Father, the one we were made for, the one we're meant for. And then from that spot, The Bible says that we have a new identity. Tons of different ways we can explain that new identity. One of the common themes throughout the Bible is that when you believe in Jesus, you aren't just declared righteous before God, although that is wonderful, but you are actually adopted into his family. You talk about a win-win. You are adopted into his family as a beloved son or daughter, and then guess what? From that identity, you can try. Next week, we're gonna um, focus in on this Who We Are series talking about gospel culture, a culture in our church, in our families, in our relationships, in our dorm room, whatever it might be. We want it to feel like grace. And we have these things called household rules that uphold this culture of grace that we we wanna build and defend. One of those household rules is this grace and grit Finish it with me. See if you can. Grace and grit. You got it. Grace and grit. Somebody was saying it. That fell flat. It's okay. Works in progress, baby. Me too. Sorry, I didn't mean that as a, <laughs> as a slight. Grace and grit are best friends. Sometimes grace and grit can be, can be at odds with each other, or we think that they can be at odds with each other. But look at this text. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, to what end? Training ourselves for godliness. What do we do? We toil and we strive for this. This is like, man, I sweat hard for this. I work, I'm determined, I'm gritty for this. I'm getting after it toward this end, toiling and striving for godliness. And then keep reading. That we set our hope on the living God and that he is the Savior. What we see happening is that grace and grit are best friends. They're not enemies. They're not opposed. We just can't get the order messed up. God's grace produces a grittiness in us to get after it and train ourselves for godliness. And then as men, as I stumble, as you stumble, as I'm slow to grow, as I have spiritually, all sorts of stuff, man, God's grace abounds. Remember the gospel and move forward again. I love this this line, I don't know who said it, but it's good. The gospel is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. The gospel is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. And just maybe maybe an encouragement, when it comes to training yourself for godliness, the best place to start or to keep going from is wherever you are at. Wherever you are at. Training for godliness doesn't make you a Christian, but boy, it can sure help you live like one. I want to finish with this. As we've talked about, man, the what. Train yourself for godliness. And then the why. Man, it holds, it holds so much value here and later, in the present life and in the life to come. Maybe you're thinking, man, how do I do that? I know Most Christians that I know and I talk to want to grow. I want to grow in godliness. And sometimes the challenge or the the, the sticky point could just be like, man, how do I do that? What do I do next? I want to, but now what? Have you ever gone to the gym without a workout plan? Or like tried to bake a cake without a recipe? Some of you maybe are good bakers and could do that. Forget that illustration then. (laughs) Try to train a dog without some sort of like training regimen. So-so results, maybe a couple steps forward, some sideways energy. What we've done as a church, and some of you who've been around for for any amount of time are familiar with this thing called the personal discipleship plan. Raise your hand if you've heard this. Cool. Personal discipleship plan, or PDP for short. Um, This is one of the best tools that we have to help you train yourself for godliness. The, f- the fruit of this little piece of paper that we're going to hand you on the way out if you want one is it- it- mind-boggling how God has used this to help ordinary people like you and me faithful, stumbling, bumbling along, trying to follow Jesus, train ourselves for godliness, have some intentionality with that. Some seasons where it's one degree of change is still changing, worth celebrating, and that's like, man, all we got is that one degree. Other seasons are like, man, it's, it's, it's like a huge growth spurt, whatever it might be. This thing, this little tool, the personal discipleship plan has been massively helpful to this end so we could apply a text like this. This is not the only way to apply a text like this by any means, but this is a good way to train ourselves for godliness is to dive into the personal discipleship plan. The big idea with this is that we be committed to our four commitments. Live for Jesus, live his family, live on mission, live to multiply. Why? Because we feel like that is a well-rounded picture of a proportionate disciple following Jesus. And if, man, we want to train ourselves for godliness, then that's the target. And what's really cool about this personal discipleship plan, you'll you'll see it when you you get it, is that it's a template. It just asks you good questions and you fill in the blanket. It's going to pertain to things like man, how am I going to get into my Bible? What do I want to read in my Bible? What excites me in my Bible? And how am I going to engage in cracking my Bible open or continuing to do that? Who do I want to pray for? When do I want to pray? Things like, man, I I know God has gifted me and wired me for the good of my church. Man, what does that look like during the season of my life? Things like, man, I got, I got friends who don't know Jesus and I want them to meet Jesus because Jesus is best for them. I want to befriend and hang out and spend time with and get to know the story and share the gospel and pray that God might save them. And all these good questions that are foundational to our faith and to training ourselves for godliness, they're all in there in the little personal discipleship plan. If you have one, our encouragement would be to to refresh it or review it and renew it. And if you don't have one, our encouragement would be to, by next week, before you come back next Sunday, um, to fill that out. You can grab it at the um, little table on your way out, personal discipleship plan. I think you will not regret it. And really... I don't want to end with that because that is so much of the what. Go back to the why. Why would you train yourself for godliness? As Newt Larson said, man, it impacts everything, everything is at stake. Not in a pressure cooker kind of way, in an opportunity drenched in gospel culture. Train ourselves for godliness. Let's pray. Father. Yeah, would you just apply this, um, would you apply it well, God? Would you apply it into the the crevices of our our hearts and lives um, that we need it most? God, I pray that you would keep us from being really, really motivated apart from the gospel. (laughs) But God, that you would well up inside of us. God, even many of us in this room, God, some of us are newer to following you, Jesus. Others of us have followed you for decades. Some of us aren't sure if we want to follow you or not. God, I pray that you would give clarity, even in the practical realm of simple next steps, whether it's a conversation or picking up a personal discipleship plan, whatever it might be. God, would your gospel, would your grace, your pursuit of us be so loud? in the midst of us, God. We, we, we don't want to fall in the ditch of, of, of not training ourselves for godliness, God, but we don't want to fall in the ditch of training ourselves for godliness so that you would be pleased with us or that so we would be right with you. Remind us, God, of who we are in Christ because of what he has done alone. He has done all the work, all of the heavy lifting on our behalf. And then from that place, the beloved son or daughter of yours, Father, we get to train ourselves for godliness. It's what we were made for. Stir us, God, how you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.